For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, that it, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Well, Lord, as we come to your word now, would you uh, speak to us by your spirit, Christ's name, amen. And so the reason we do these instructed Eucharists is not to make a point that we're better than everyone else. Because there's only one church in Dallas. And it's Jesus' church. In order for us to thrive, we need the other expressions of Jesus' church to thrive as well. Why we do this is so that we can all appreciate what's actually going on. Because if we have symbols and rituals and we don't know the meaning, we end up missing the point. And so that's the big hope today. And if you uh, want, you love, and I'm not able to talk about everything, but so we're just trying to tease a little bit out. And if there's more that you'd like to learn, there are plenty of resources that we can point to you afterwards. And so what we've just heard is the reading of God's word. And now comes a moment where the priest falls down the stairs and there's great rejoicing. Um, No, Uh, we come to the preaching of God's word which is stylistically meant to be different from other expressions of the church. And that is because the pressure of the service is not designed to be born on the preacher, right? There's an arc to how we worship, and the main uh, climax, the high point, is what happens after the sermon. And the sermon is not designed to be, um, let me put it this way, our belief in the way we do things is ordered in a particular way where we believe that um, discipleship is not primarily about an information gap. It's about a formation that happens when we follow the way, when we follow the way of Jesus. And so, um, you know, we once played a game, Chris and I, where we hit each other's sermon notes and um, though he's not here, he's done it. No. Um, and so what this part of the sermon is about is really about proclamation. And again, it's, it's a proclamation that hope is possible. It's a proclamation that Jesus has set the standard of our way and it looks different from the way of the world. And so it's meant to be uh, not necessarily a hard sell, though sometimes we do need convincing, and that's, that's a very powerful technique. But often it's, it's a creative space during this time where we, people can encounter the word that inspires faith and, um, and growth. And so let's just look as an example at our uh, New Testament reading from Romans 5. It, it's incredible in it, isn't it? Um, um, this, this commendation, this, the hope that's in this. And let's just look at it with curiosity because it's probably a familiar passage and may have been used in various and sundry ways. But let's just think about this for a moment. 
while we were still weak. That's so powerful, isn't it? You don't have to be strong to come here. Like the weak are welcome. And even those of us who are convinced of our strength actually have a blind spot to the fact that we are weak. While we were still weak. And not just weak, but at the right, and at the right time. God's timing is perfect. Which is brutal if you feel weak and you're waiting on God and it feels like he's taking eternity to answer your prayers. But you're in the right place. Because the weak and the waiting are welcome. At the right time, Jesus, what did he do? He died for the ungodly. Oh, well, let's think about that. So the ungodly is kind of shorthand for Paul saying the people who didn't have it all together. The people who hadn't mastered the way perfectly. So Jesus, while we were still weak and at the right time, did this thing that has cosmic influence, not over just our lives, but over space and time. You can tell I've been talking to an astrophysicist. Um, that he did this event that has changed the course of history as it happens and the course of history as it has happened. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. And I think this is so powerful because in Dallas, I would say, in moving to Dallas 10 years ago, I began to discover that I had a problem, which was, I didn't look as anatomically probable as I should have, right? Because one of the besetting sins, not certainly of East Dallas, but certainly in Dallas as a whole, is this issue we have with image management. You know, not only do we have to look good, we have to have careers where we're going up and to the right, and the moment things start to go up, well, they can't go up and to the left. Anyway, however it works out in a chart. The moment things start to go wrong, we have this problem. Because an image-centric life is a life lacking depth. That's why we're called to focus our eyes on the image of Christ. And we're called to be his image bearers. Because God shows his love for us that while we still were sinners, he died for us. And then we pick up in verses 16 to 17. I I didn't put 16 in there, but I'll... Um, we have this in verse 16, this astonishing, surprising, even remarkable insight into the depth of God's grace. Because the one trespass of Adam led to the sin of all. The condemnation of all. But the act of Jesus has led to the sanctification and justification of all. Let's think about this for a moment. Let me put it to you like this. Language matters. And so, when we come to the table, it's important that you know that you don't take communion. Because the act act of taking is what happened in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, they took the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
and blew it for the rest of us, right? We do something more better. We come forward and we receive. And in that act of receiving, what we're doing is we're partaking in the, in the luxurious, extravagant hospitality of Jesus. And as we, there's no way back, right? The only way is forward and through. And so in receiving, what we're receiving is we are receiving the means of grace and the hope of glory in the bread and the wine. And we're preparing our hearts to receive a kingdom that is not of this earth, but is of heaven, and is a kingdom that will manifest itself when all is revealed and all is accomplished, when a new city, a new Jerusalem, will be found in its midst. So we don't take, we receive. Because he did this one thing so long ago that has changed the course of history. And the, the loaded word that comes up is this word, justification. Now, what does the word justification mean? I know you all know what it means, but let's again, with curiosity, look at this. It, it's a legal term. It's a legal term, and it's more than that. It's used as language of spiritual rebirth and empowerment by the Holy Spirit. Someone once asked, why are we baptized once but take communion weekly or however often you do it? I think it was N.T. Wright, I heard it say. He says, well, we only need to be born once, but we need to eat daily. And so by this justification, this spiritual rebirth, it's not just spiritual rebirth, but it's empowerment by the Holy Spirit, and it involves a process of inner transformation where the believer realizes they are cleansed from, the, from sin, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and enabled to live a life in accordance with God's will. So it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in bringing about spiritual regeneration and growth and is emphasized, emphasizes the ongoing journey of sanctification. And here's the deal, it's not just a doctrinal concept, it is very much one, but it's also a spiritual path forward. So here's my big issue with liturgy. It's repetitive. I know exactly what's gonna happen next week. I know exactly what's gonna happen three months from now. We have the easiest calendar in the world because it's already set up for us. And it used to frustrate me to no end. What we find though is that what you may experience here is that we talk about the three streams of scripture, sacrament, and spirit, and that's really vital. And instead of putting one fader up and the other two down, we're trying to you know, they don't let me up there. I was in there briefly uh, this morning. It's like putting all three faders to the max. And what that does is this. If you just focus on the scriptures, you get legalistic. If you just focus on the liturgy, you get fussy. If the Spirit of God is welcomed in, what would be a temptation to become legalistic and fussy is held in perfect tension so that something different happens. And we know from brain science 
So I'm gonna be, I'm gonna try not to be imprecise because I skipped psychology because I couldn't, I didn't know what I was thinking in college and I certainly didn't want to try to study what I was thinking. So I've left it to the therapists in the room. But we know from the study of the brain is that repetition is powerful. Repetition is powerful. Take what happens when you do something over and over and over again, like brushing your teeth or taking a shower. I don't know about you, but some of my best ideas come when I'm doing something I do every day. And there is a science because of that. It's because we have established a routine and we've done something so often we don't really need to engage our brain all that consciously to brush our teeth. Now, helping a three-year-old brush their teeth feels like an FBI hostage situation where the brush is the hostage and the child is the terrorist. But when you become an adult, if you brush your teeth regularly, you often find that you don't have to think about it. Because scientifically, what's happened is, is your brain is reaching what it needs very quickly. Very quickly. And so you'll find, if you've been to any liturgical church for any amount of time, that the same is done and is true with liturgy and the power of the Spirit. Because we say these prayers week after week, a creative space opens up, not just in our mind, but because it opens up in our mind, it also opens up in our souls so that we're often able to ponder relationships and things going on in our life in a deeper way. And it's because of the repetitive action of why we pray. Not saying we're better, just saying it's different. This doesn't happen when you have four songs in a sermon. Something else happens, and I love those. I go incognito at the back and just, you know, go nuts. But when we do this liturgical practice, there is something happening and being triggered in our minds that creates this opening up where we're actually able to connect with God in a way spiritually that doesn't happen otherwise. Because when you repeat the same thing every Sunday, like the creed, what do we do when we say the creed? We're actually affirming our faith in the historic understanding of what it means to be a believer. We're not actually a confessional church. We're creedal. And that begins to shape us. I mean, I could say the creed all day long with my eyes closed, probably in English and French, because I've grown up with it. But as I'm doing it, something happens inside that takes me to a deeper place. And so our brains make this connection really quickly and it frees up other space so we have this spiritual connection. And it's the same with the offertory. All right, so you know, in a moment we'll have the announcements, then we'll do the piece, and then the, uh, the band, I'll say a verse of scripture, and then the band will play a song, the bread and the wine will come up, and the offering plates will go by. Two things are happening every week in that moment. We are giving back to God two things. We're giving to him things that we've gotten from his creation, the bread and the wine. And then we're giving him our money. Oh, talking about money. But this is so important because both things, the bread and the wine and the money, are consecrated. 
They're set aside for the purposes of God and his kingdom and of making the hospitality of King Jesus known to all. And when we do it time and time again, we begin to be shaped. It frees us up. And so the repetition of the liturgy creates a creative space in the mind and in the heart for us to be shaped in the moment by what we are doing. It enables us to experience what Paul describes as justification. And so the Eucharist, another word for Holy Communion, simply means to celebrate. And so in Lent, we do this thing, you know, we start with the Decalogue, saying, oh yeah, I'm terrible, I've blown it again, Jesus, forgive me. Thank you that you're kind and merciful, and there's a way I can follow that can save the mess I've made. And then we get to communion, and it shifts. Because it doesn't matter what season you're in, when you celebrate the resurrection, you celebrate the resurrection. Death has died, and there's new life in him. But what we do in Lent is we use a Kenyan liturgy. And it says two things. It has a different emphasis. There, my favorite moment is, what you'll pay attention in a moment, is when I say, this is the feast of victory. When you look at the parables of Jesus, he doesn't, he gives us a way that is counterintuitive to the way of the world. Our world looks for a big thing that will stun us all and impress us all, that will bring about change. And Jesus his kingdom is more like we're gonna do this little thing over and often and over a period of time, it's gonna bear a massive harvest. And so this feast of victory, the bread and the wine, really enables us to see that we're part, not just of what's going on in heaven, but we're part of an international movement that is bound together not by assent, not by uh, agreement on certain things. It transcends race, it transcends economic standards, and because we are united in Jesus. And so when Jesus wanted to take apart tyranny, what Jesus has done to help us to overcome racism, which we've talked about last week, is what he did on the cross, which is to shape us, is he brings all of the evil on the earth to himself like a sponge, he sucks it all up. And in dying, he defeats death and the principalities and powers of evil <clears throat> in this world. And in dying, takes it to the grave so that as he rises to new life, there is a new king on his throne who has a different way of living that is subversive and that is transformative, that is based on hospitality. And so when we feast on a Sunday, when we come up to receive the bread and the wine, you're not just coming up to receive it. You're invited, because remember what, what Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 42, that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We're invited to bring our infirmities. We're invited to bring our sufferings. We're invited to bring our burdens to the table. And that as we unburden ourselves at the table where we are given, afforded a place of honor, what we receive in return is the only thing that Jesus can give us that no one else can. A fantastic sports car. No. Himself. He gives us his presence. 
And you can't just do it once. You got to do it over and over and over again. And over time, as we do this, we are shaped, we are changed. So that we, having received the hospitality of Jesus, as we go, because it really is food for the road, we then take that hospitality everywhere we go. One more thing before we turn to prayer. One of the other main distinctives from a pastor to a priest is probably the training. I don't know if I'm old school or new school or what school it was. It was in England, so it felt old school because, you know, the language and the accent. You've got to be careful of Brits because their accent's so compelling. But in my school of training, there was a heavy emphasis on preaching. And there was an even greater emphasis on the sacraments. And one of those main differences is, is that when you are ordained as a priest, you are charged to take the sacraments, not just to the flock that can gather on Sunday, but you are charged to take it to those who are trying to comfort the distressed. You are to take the sacraments, you take the hospitality of Jesus to the dying. And you're to take the sacraments to the bereaved. And it's this charge that what happens here changes everything. So that when you discover that your health has hit a massive roadblock, and we can use any number of cancer, we can use any number of illness, that there is a place where if you don't connect with the sermon, if you are suffering so much you can't sing, there's a place at the table. And if you read the prophets, it's not just any place, but it's the place of honor. Because before, what does Paul say? It's so astonishing. I'll finish with this. While we were still weak and at the right time. So if you feel weak, if you're waiting, oh Lord, why haven't you moved? If I was you, I would have done it differently. You know, you might die for the righteous. Someone, might have, someone would have probably volunteered to die in the place of Mother Teresa. I mean, who wouldn't? But what about dying instead of someone on death row? Oof, well that sharpens it, doesn't it? But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oof. And coming to understand that, to shape our hearts, is why we do this thing on Sunday regularly and often. Because of the immortal words of Keanu Reeves, modern day poet, it's deep. It's deep. Or as he said in that quasi-theological film, The Matrix, whoa. Because <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, it's absolutely perplexing to think that death is not the end.
to think that there is a rising in, and we have a foretaste of it now, but one day he will come and bring it all into completion. So that's why we do the table. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that out of your kindness, you lead us to follow your way. Thank you, Lord, that there's always a place for those of us who are weak, for those of us who are burdened, that we can come and, and lay our burdens at the table and receive from you, that we might take what we receive from you as we go. So would you come and move in our hearts as we continue in our service. In Jesus' name, amen.